Welcome to Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melitzis. I'm here with Carrie Eleveld. And if you've been paying any attention to the news, and maybe even if you haven't, there's a massive disturbance <laughs> in the force. <laughs> A massive disturbance Holy is right. Shit. That's a good, that's, yeah. Carrie, you know, we knew that Roe v. Wade was on its, what's going to be struck down by the, by this conservative Supreme Court. And yet this, we, uh, on, when was that? On Monday evening, yeah. Justice Alito's draft opinion eliminating Roe v. Wade was mm-hmm. leaked to the press. And no matter how much you expected this decision, the impact was still a gut punch. Right. Let's let's emphasize that this is a draft opinion. OK, but I, I think everybody's authenticated. I mean, it, no, the Supreme Court actually came out and said, yes, it's real. So we know it's real. We know it was a real draft opinion. The question is whether it manages to get toned down at all before it it lands in probably June. But, you know, one way or the other, five justices have have voted to overturn, who knows, maybe there'll be a concur- concurring opinion from Chief Justice Roberts, who will but agree. Done. But have, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but it's, do- done. it's done. And it's just a matter of like, this is the way it's written is from what I understand. And I remember, I'm not a legal scholar. I just have read but, a little so, bit about Carrie, it. Before you yeah. get into the, the those details, I just want to um, let everybody know that our guest today is going to be Christine Pelosi. She's a trainer campaign trainer, organizer, and uh, um, just really deeply involved in Democratic Party politics. And we're going to talk to her about the electoral ramifications of this decision as somebody who's actually working with campaigns right now on the ground, training them. Who actually trains candidates and works with campaigns and um, I'm sure has is privy to a lot of polling. I mean, we have a lot of public polling, but it wouldn't. Yeah. Hey, maybe she wants to drop some internals on us that no one else knows. Of. You never know. You got to ask. Anyway, so so she'll be on in about ten minutes. And so, yeah, setting the stage, Carrie. You were saying. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just well. You. So this is just classic Alito. You know, he's wanted to strike this down from the beginning. He finally gets his chance. Finally, he gets a chance to write it. It's it. You know, it's what Mark Joseph Stern of Slate called a maximal assault on, you know, sort of all uh, progressive constitutional decisions, basically. And everything will be, you know, this is just the beginning for the right wing conservative movement. They are going to go after contraception. They are going to go after uh, LGBTQ rights, the same sex marriage decision. He also he also took Alito in the decision, took a, a slap at Lawrence v. Texas, which is like, Basically, the really first big LGBTQ rights win at the Supreme Court in 2003 that said that um, same-sex couples have the, pri- the privacy, the right to privacy to have, you know, um, to have sex in their well, own bedrooms. Sodomy, without- yeah, sodomy laws applied to anybody having non-marital, maybe not even non-procreational sex. 
including anal sex and oral sex. But of course, it was mostly targeted towards gay couples, uh, same-sex right. couples. So right. So so I mean, way way, bef- way before you have the Obergefell decision in 2015 legalizing same-sex marriage or striking down marriage bans, um, same-sex marriage bans across the country, you have this foundational decision that sort of what opened up, you know, sort of. The, the possibility of moving on, uh, which was Lawrence v. Texas in 2003. And Alito took a specific swipe at both of those. But you got to remember, I'm pretty sure, and again, I'm not a legal scholar. I mean, you're an actual, you're trained as a, are you trained? Uh, yeah, but I'm not a legal yeah. scholar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you've got more legal training than I do, but I'm pretty sure that Lawrence was, was premised on Griswold, which is the contraception. I mean, uh, Griswold uh, v. Connecticut was the contraception decision that that conf- that conferred privacy rights, um, you know, without excessive governmental, you know, influence um, or prying. Uh, back in what 1965, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna say, oh, well, Lawrence is no good and Obergefell is no good, and you know, and then he he tried to do some gymnastics, as you, as you said, um, to to say, oh, but the the ruling on interracial marriage uh, that was kosher. You know, saying, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And now he doesn't say it by name, but he, he yeah. sort of says other other decisions are OK, just not the ones dealing with gay people. I mean, that was right. the, the fun, functionally what he right. says. And, and and forget about it. I'm telling you, as someone who spent, you know, 10, 10 to 15, well, 15 years sort of covering the gay movement. It's so clear how much LGBTQ politics is related back to gender and sexual and sex and sex. And so if you're going to, I am just, there's not a single doubt in my mind that after they get through slicing and dicing rights for LGBTQ Americans, they are actually, they are going to go after contraception. They're going to go after every, everyone who's not male and white and Christian. Like, (laughs) no, and and, uh, Carrie, this is important because. I people are going to be like, oh, you're exaggerating or you're 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 it's hyperbole or, you you know, because we've seen that perpetually over the last few years. People just started dismissing Republicans aren't that bad. They're not comparing them to the hands maiden tales going too far. Here is the exact words he used to describe uh, both the right to abortion and a right, you know, the. And like you said, Lawrence, which legalized sodomy and Obergefell, which legalized same-sex marriage. He said that those are phony rights because, quote, they are not deeply rooted in history. That is his standard, deeply rooted in history. So we don't have to exaggerate to understand what he's saying, that when the when in 1776, when when, you know, Declaration of Independence, there were slaves, slavery was deeply rooted in history. When he talks about abortion and why it's not deeply rooted in history, he talks about how it used to be illegal until 1973 and, in, and based in the common law. And, and so therefore it's not deeply rooted in history, but interracial marriage was not deeply rooted in history. Women voting was not deeply rooted in history. Young people voting, not deeply rooted in history. Anybody that didn't have property voting, <laughs> not deeply rooted in history. Uh, things that were deeply rooted in history, slavery. Subjugation right. of women. I mean, so this right. is a his standard that he's using in this decision is one that would take us back to the dark ages. Right. And that's totally. not exaggerating. No, it is they, his words. Right. His they, words. They, 
this would this would this is opening the lockbox right to to what we know as modern America right now. This is that's what this is like for 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 conservatives to shred what we have come to know over the last 50 years as modern America. I mean, that is that is what you're looking at. OK. And 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 the, and it all revolves around, um, you know, what is enumerated in the Constitution and what is what the Supreme Court has conferred on Americans as unenumerated rights, right? Rights that were not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution uh, by name, but ha- but the Supreme Court has deemed them sort of an extension of, you know, of a piece of the Constitution. Again, I'm not a constitutional law scholar, but once well, you get into society that, evolves, things move right. on. Abortion society did not evolves. exist in 17. Once you get whatever the Constitution what, was written, right? Once you get into well, if it's not explicitly written in the Constitution, then it's then it's open season. They will they will go after everything that we have no, that we have come to known as you know sort of. Um, you know, just it's just basic modern American civilization. I mean, and, you know, and, yeah. and, and I will say, so I was reading this, this slate piece by Mark Joseph Stern. He's, he's a great, uh, you know, he, he does a great job sort of breaking down these opinions and whatever. And one thing he said was, well, he, you know, Alito then went to some trouble, like you were saying, of saying, well, this doesn't mean that some of these decisions are going to be, you know, it's not, we're not going to take them all down. And what, Stern wrote then is that this unreasoned disclaimer is not worth much on the heels of 62 pages shredding dozens of precedents over half a century. He spent, Alito spent 62 pages shredding dozens of precedents. That means, that means nothing is sacrosanct anymore. I mean, you actually going to believe, I mean, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh both said in their hearings that, that Roe v. Wade was settled law. This is, you know, Susan Collins today is acting like, oh, I, they li- I didn't realize that, you know, they, they lied to me. She knew damn well they were lying to her. She didn't care back then. So this idea that now we're going to take him at their, at their word that he's, oh, no, we're not going to talk about that. For all we know, he only included that language because he's working on making sure that he's got the full majority of, of, of Republicans on the court. And I doubt that there are six Republicans that are willing to shred interracial marriage. Like I, I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm being overly, overly generous with the conservative majority, but I'm going to assume that they don't have a majority to make interracial marriage illegal. So he's got to, he has to do those mental gymnastics. I want to make very clear that, that the way he tries to explain why Obergefell and, and Lawrence, which target gay people, why those are, not kosher, but interracial marriages when they're all founded on these same cases. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think once they get done shredding LGBTQ rights, I think they go for interracial marriage. I mean, look, just look at Senator Mike Braun of Indiana. He was recently asked about the, you know, would you be okay with the Supreme Court leaving the issue of interracial marriage to the states? And he said, yes. He said, yes. I mean, I'm just like, quote unquote, yes. And then he said, if you are not wanting the Supreme Court to weigh, on, weigh in on issues like that, you are not going to be able to have your cake and eat it too. He was, and then he tried to walk it back. Oh, I didn't understand the, the question. Well, the question wasn't that hard. You know, yeah. do you want interracial marriage to be a state's rights issue, to revert back to a state's rights issues? And he said, yes. Hey, you want another example? 
In Michigan recently, I think in February, there was a debate among the Republicans who are running for attorney general. Now, right now, there's a sitting Democrat, Dana Nessel, as the attorney general of Michigan, right? They were asked about the Griswold decision, the contraception decision, the right to, you know, the right to for couples not to have interference of the governor government saying you can't use contraception while having sex. This is crazy, right? This is so basic. This is such basic reproductive rights situation. And 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 they were all three of them were asked about that. And all three of them said, oh, yeah, that should be a state's rights issue. And then and, and they were they, at first they were fuzzy on, oh, I'm not sure what Griswold is. But, yes, contraception should be a state's rights issue. Right. They're right. they're talking about overturning Griswold is what they're doing. So yeah, e- it, every it, every attorney general candidate for the Republicans in Michigan was was saying that should be overturned. It should be states rights. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and here they're saying like, oh, no, all, the, all this is all Alito is doing is pushing back to the states. So the states decide. But Republicans in the Senate have legislation that would make that a federal uh, would ban uh, abortion at the federal level. So that's that's our ultimate goal and what they're trying to do. So before Pelosi comes on, I, I just want to make one last point. If you watch Republicans right now, uh, you can tell who are the true believers and who are the dogs that caught the car and now don't know what to do, right? Because the true believers are celebrating. And if that leak was said that, that Roe had survived, we'd be celebrating, right? We'd be like, woo. You can tell Republicans are really uncomfortable because most of them are complaining about the process. They're complaining about the leak and, oh, what a breach of democratic norms that that this draft decision was leaked. If they really believed this, they'd be celebrating. But they know, right? The polling, the polling is actually brutal, right? In fact, you were just looking at some numbers, right? Yeah, we're just looking at some numbers. So like data for for progress. Uh, data for progress. Sorry, I'm so excited. I'm like, I can't speak. Uh, or I shouldn't say excited, but I'm like so disrupted, as you said, massive disruption. Anyway, but there's not a single state uh, where support for a federal ban on abortion has more than 30 percent. Right. So no state in the nation has more than 30 percent support for banning abortion. That includes Mississippi okay. and Alabama, yes. the entire Bible Belt, West Virginia, right. Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, all of those Republican red states. Basically, ha- ha- you know, from what I've read, somewhere around half the states are going to, as soon as Roe falls, are going to ban abortion almost immediately. So like that, that almost half of states, I mean, there could be some caveats. Maybe there will be life of the mother. Maybe there will be incest. In some states, there will be no caveats whatsoever. Right. And Carrie- It'll be. Straight, straight up abortion ban. Yeah. And we've been talking, we've been talking about, yeah, this is a tough uh, climate, but we've also talked about all the different ways that this is an atypical midterm election. And we have constantly cited the effect on the road decision on, you know, its potential impact on the elections. And, and you made a very good point uh, when we were sort of discussing this before the show that, that none of the other prognosticators, which are mostly male have really this have really factored that in to the equation. And of course, now everybody's going to have to factor it in because it's right there. Right. But it really shows how when 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 the discourse is sort of shaped by just men, how you can miss sort of what is really obvious if you're following this stuff closely and it impacts you. Right. 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 And, and and, you know, there's a lot of men who think this doesn't impact them. Well, if they go after contraception, it will. Number one. And number two, a lot of men who aren't thinking about 
when they and their partner or their wife, you know, end up getting pregnant and for, you know, and really want that baby. They've really picked out the colors for their room and they've been decorating and all that stuff, right? And then find out that there's something terribly wrong, tragically wrong with that baby, that it won't live past a day or that it'll be stillborn or whatever. And then live in a state where where they're banned because the pregnancy is far enough along that they can't get an abortion. I mean, you know, guys don't tend to think that this applies to them until it does apply to them. And when it applies to them, it is a terribly tragic situation, right, where they really wanted that baby. The couple really wants that baby. And then and then are forced by the government to do something awful, Um, you know, just like you know, get out of the out of the business of of being the government should not be in the way of people's health care decisions, um, you know, familial decisions, very, you know, gut wrenching familial decisions. I just like it's just so I, I'm, this, you know, yes, this is a women's issue because women think about this all the time from the time that they start to menstruate. Women think, hey, I could wake up pregnant one day. And women think about this all the time. And I think there's a lot of men who don't spend a lot of time thinking about it unless they have a daughter and they think, oh, God. And they, you know, it, it affects everybody. It's going to affect men. And, and a lot of them won't know it until it's too late um, unless they start thinking about it. So anyway. No, yeah, you're absolutely true. And, and, um, and I don't I don't want I don't say this to minimize the effect of of you know, the abortion issue specifically, but, you know, we just talked about sort of the broader impact. And so you could be a man and this decision directly undercut, undercuts uh, so many of the foundational rights that we depend on, even contraception, like we've talked about, right? I mean, this does affect everybody and it sort of shows what that Republican agenda has become. I think Nancy Pelosi's here. Uh, sorry, Christine Pelosi is here. So Christine Pelosi is here. She is an attorney, author, advocate. She has a lifetime of grassroots organizing and public policy experience. She's a committee woman at the National Federation of Democratic Women, the Democratic National Committee. She is the author of the Campaign Boot, uh, campaign boot Camp and Campaign Boot Camp 2.0 and the Amazon bestseller, The Nancy Pelosi Way. Uh, most exciting and most uh, amazing to me. She has trained thousands of leaders in almost every state and four foreign countries. She is in the forefront of training our candidates for the U.S. House. And that's like my favorite thing that you do, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. So good to be here. And uh, I was in a yoga class and the teacher, Yogi, said, that our biggest enemy is our unguarded thoughts. And I said, well, gee, for me, it's the Supreme Court, but <laughs> <laughs> so- then it's my unguarded thoughts after that. <laughs> or maybe it's my unguarded thoughts about the Supreme Court. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you, it's been, um, you know, when you see something coming, you know, it's going to happen. As Hitchcock said, the anticipation of a bang is worse than the bang. This was the anticipation moment where now we just know at any moment the bang is going to happen. And it doesn't matter how many years you've been preparing for it. I had, like so many other people, I had, you know, flashbacks to being in law school and doing clinic defense with my roommate who was um, getting her master's in public health at Berkeley. And we were doing clinic defense then. That was the 90s. I remember protesting the Casey decision. I mean, now we all love it, right? 
but we didn't <laughs> love it when it came out. We were protesting that. So it just goes to show you, you know, yes, you said, and that's only half as long as as this fight's been going on, but in my whole adult life, just just being an advocate for women and also being on uh, either on a nonprofit board or professionally as an attorney um, working with vulnerable victims. Obviously, it shouldn't matter why you want to have an abortion, but it is especially painful when you are trying to make that decision amidst all the other piles of shame that they put on you for being pregnant or for being pregnant because you were sexually assaulted. So there are so many layers to this. And I just know that if that's just what's happening in my own unguarded thoughts, I can only imagine that multiplied by millions. And of course, you know, I have the ability to do what I can for my daughter. And as I was sitting with her late last night, um, kind of reading with her before she drifted off to sleep and she's 13. And I was thinking, you know, man, we're lucky to be in San Francisco, but I just refuse to live in the world where my daughter has fewer rights than I do. And we just, we have to fight for, you know, all of those families that are in, you know, they're not white, they're not privileged, they're not in the beautiful pro-choice state of California. And we just have to do everything we can to codify Roe and to make sure that, that her choices and her liberties are stronger than mine. Uh, yeah. not weaker. Yeah, and just bears repeating that the, that this will disproportionately affect undoubtedly people who of of lesser privilege, people who, you know, are are in worse situations, you know, maybe they're mothers already, maybe they are single mothers already and they cannot afford, you know, to have another child. Perhaps they, you know, perhaps they are a victim of race r- rape or incest. Perhaps perhaps they're too young. Um, to access what they need, uh, you know, and and uh, many of them will not be able to go to California, will not be able to travel to uh, Canada or yeah. somewhere else where they can, you know. So, like, th- it just, I mean, it's horrific, and it's just that much more horrific for people uh, of lesser means. So... <clears throat> Yes, and it's that much more powerful for the women, particularly the Black and um, Native and Latino-led groups who are working with the most vulnerable populations in the most vulnerable states. You know, you look at, like, if Roe versus Wade were to be overturned and if the Senate does not mm-hmm. step up and the so-called pro-choice Republicans in the Senate don't step up and codify Roe, immediately you're looking at 16 or 17 states that have what they call trigger laws, where they would automatically revert back to um, a, a very severe extreme um, abortion I- ban. So that work is being done right now by... Right. Um, by by providers and groups. Um, um, so I think it's really important as people are watching and as you put up, you know, you throw out links and things like that to, uh, you know, to the viewers. It's really important that, you know, I love Planned Parenthood. I love NARAL. They always, you know, come and participate and that's great. But we're talking about Sister Song. We're talking about groups that are in the South led by Black women who are suffering under the worst of these bans, states like uh, Mississippi, for example. So I think it's really important that we also, we left up the voices. We also step aside and make sure that we're giving our microphones or our Twitter feeds or our platforms to people who are actually uh, doing the work with no margin. Right. Okay. Uh, Christine, I'm, I'm, 
you know, <laughs> for those of us who've been sort of in this electoral space for the last couple of decades, uh, it's been frustrating to see Republicans be so effective at using the Supreme Court as an electoral tool. But our side was always like, eh, you know, there was a complacency around Roe and uh, around abortion rights and and Democrats, for whatever reason, and I don't I don't know why, were unable to weaponize the Supreme Court as a campaign issue as a way to galvanize our voters. And uh, to the point where I don't I don't even think Republicans believed the rhetoric on abortion. Right. It was just it was just a really convenient way to gin up their base, their their Christianist base, get them out to the polls. But they weren't really going to make that happen. And and the way that sort of Mitch McConnell is people are reacting to this, right. Trying to focus on the, on the, on the process of the leak, as opposed to the substance, they're not celebrating, you notice that they're not celebrating sort of suggests that that's the case. Um, do you really think that, that Democrats really didn't think this day was going to come and that's why they were, they weren't able to emotionally bring this issue into the campaign space? Well, interesting that you use the term emotionally Marcos, because I brought it in all the time and I was told I was too emotional. So <laughs> maybe I wasn't emotional enough, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so I, 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 and, and, yeah, look, when it comes to social media, stuff like that, especially at a time, like in the first, you know, two, 12, 24 hours of something like this, I think you have to give people their space to grieve, to vent, to yell, you know, whatever, uh, to chide, to blame, whatever you, you kind of have to get through that and get it out of your system and then say, okay, you know, my mom, Nancy Pelosi, always says, don't agonize, organize. I'm like, well, we can agonize a little, but now we got to organize. But, you know, it's really interesting to me was I always thought, like, I grew up in the California Democratic Party. So for me, it was always an issue. And I remember my mom, you know, her parents were from Baltimore. And I remember, like, in 1982, they had the California Democratic Party platform. It was four pages. By the time I chaired it, it was like 30, um, you know, 30, you know, 30 years later. But... Um, in 1982, the Democratic Party platform actually was, it, it was like a nuclear freeze. It was uh, an assault weapons ban. It was a lot of um, pro-environment as an ethic. It was jobs, justice, working conditions, and it was pro-choice. And my grandparents called and were like, you're for killing babies. I mean, they were completely freaked out. So in 1992, I go to this 500th anniversary of columbus day you can imagine i'm like oh, oh it's just no. people's day and they're like no it's columbus day so we're having oh, this no. argument at the table this is why they you know they don't like to invite me to do anything <laughs> speaking of emotion i'm having that argument with my grandmother and then she points out a woman across the room and she says oh she won on that abortion issue and i go oh well okay i'm about to be over two right um, <laughs> and so i kind of started in gently i said well you know grandmom sometimes you know they say if you can't trust me with a choice you can't trust me with the child which was the 1992 bumper sticker of the time right she says oh no and sometimes it can be a sin and i'm like wait okay so in 1982 you were completely opposed 10 years later my grandmother had become pro-choice still anti-abortion but pro-choice and so i think that that evolution really occurred if it could happen to my immigrant italian grandmother it, it can happen everywhere and it did happen everywhere. And I still think that we have to be very careful and specific in our language because we allowed them to say they're, uh, you know, anti-abortion and we're pro-abortion. No, some of us are pro-abortion, but millions of Americans are anti-abortion and pro-choice. And some of the most powerful messaging around the time when I first became chair of the California Democratic Party Women's Caucus, I served for 10 years. I started a month after um, 
John Boehner became Speaker of the House. And the first bill, you remember, was to try to have uh, the legitimate rape argument. Right. Remember all that? H.R. 1 and H.R. 3. And Barbara Boxer, um, then our senator, um, led to fight to stop them in the Senate. But the point was, they were ready. They were ready. They called it a war. They were ready. They were prepared. And we knew that. But we also knew that some of the most powerful um um, voices we had were people who said to camera, as example, the woman who was um, campaigning against Todd Akin and for uh, Claire McCaskill in the race that she uh, in the race that she won for Senate, where she said, "I was a survivor of rape. I wanted to have the child, but there's no way that I would want that choice taken away from me." And as chair of the Women's Caucus, like our bylaws said. We were pro-choice and people would write to me and say, well, I just want to remind you, I am anti-abortion, but I think it's my choice, not the government's. And so I just want you to uh, say at the meeting that we're all pro-choice and having a baby is one of those choices. And I would say it and on we would go. So I think that part of the Democrats writ large issue was we got too afraid to just have a conversation like the one I just had. We were too afraid um, you know, that we were, it was going to be weaponized, used against us. And quite frankly, it was something we thought, well, the lawyer people care about that, but regular people don't care about it. It was too much. Don't ask, don't tell instead yeah. of privacy is something that you do alone. Justice is something that we can do together. And I think that there's a privacy group and a justice group in the party, and we're trying to bring them all into the same circle but that's been a slow process. That said, there were a lot of people that, that came to Congress and said that they were anti-abortion. They found themselves um, voting to uh, fund Planned Parenthood. They found themselves funding birth control in appropriations, fighting against all those poison pills. Uh, so again, I think there's been a positive evolution, but I'll be honest, it was 2016. We had a Supreme Court vacancy. We knew if Trump won, the two fights were going to be the Supreme Court and the Affordable Care Act. And if Hillary won, the fights were going to be the Supreme Court and the possibility that they would sneak in TPA as a farewell present to Barack Obama and uh, Paul Ryan. The, I should say the TPP, the trade, uh, yeah. the trade deal that with you know, uh, Asia. Didn't like. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you said you said in there about Republicans, they were ready. Right. And I wonder if Democrats are ready. You know, you. You spend time around candidates. You do some trainings. You know, you like. Do you do you think Democrats are ready for this moment? And this is this is a terrible moment, but it's a political moment. And you know, as you well know, if we have a House majority and we have you know enough seats in 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 the Senate, hopefully, we could get we could codify this into law, codify uh, abortion rights into law. Do you think Democrats are ready for this political moment? Um, I think the base of the party is ready for the moment. I think the American people are ready for the moment. And I think the Democrats will rise to the moment. Many, many of us are. And I was many more of us are than 10 years ago. Many more of us are than 20 years ago, certainly more than a generation ago. So we're getting ready. I would also say that it's the confluence of interest. If you look at what I found interesting about what's in this leaked decision, if, if you go back to the oral arguments... One of the things that Sotomayor talked about, Justice Sonia Sotomayor talked about during the oral arguments was the stench, right? The stench that was going to come from the Supreme Court, from this Texas bill, right? If the Texas, if the Texas ban, now this is also looking at, at, at Mississippi, but as to the Texas ban, she said, if, if it looks like we're just, we're just doing politics here and throwing out all these 
reasoning, I don't know if the court can survive the stench of this, but part of her concern was not only Roe and Casey, it was also the other cases that talk about fundamental rights and the dignity of privacy. So the one thing that the Democratic Party has also evolved on is LGBTQ equality. And so we are well-versed in marriage equality. We are well-versed in that. That's been helpful. We're well-versed in birth control and the fight over Hobby Lobby and not my boss's business. We're well-versed, unfortunately, in the current threat to our trans community and our trans kids and what's going on in the schools and what's going on in some of these terrible, again, go back to Texas, um, these terrible uh, rules that they're coming up with. So I think that on abortion alone, it is, it is, uh, it's pretty, we're pretty good. But what's really powerful is that we see the interconnectivity of all these intimate decisions that are being threatened, of all of this autonomy that's being threatened. And uh, therefore, you have to believe that that we know, and even if every Democratic Party official like me and public official um, didn't know, they're hearing it over the last, uh, you know, the last several hours. And, and I think the collective decision is that we want to be really smart about this. We want to be really inclusive about this. And we need to understand that uh, we can't wait till November. There will be poison pill after poison pill after poison pill that is happening in in the state budgets, most of whom um, you know close their books at the end of June, um, in the budget for fiscal year 2023 that has to go through the United States um, House and Senate, the appropriations bills. You know, we have to have our warriors and be at the ready. And it's like whack-a-mole. You know, when somebody sees it comes up, the rest of the party has to join them in saying, this is a problem and where we can snatch a two or three Republican votes that might be um, that might be left in Washington for this. So I'm going to I'm going to quote uh, from the draft decision. It's clear that Alito's feeling a little, you know, a little insecure about the fact that he's a man basically taking a woman's right away. So he tries to sort of weaponize feminism in a decision. And he says, quote, women are not without electoral or political power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who registered to vote and cast ballots is consistently higher than the percentage of men who do so. Uh, so he is basically daring us. He's daring women to do something about it. Now, of course, they're trying to, to pass a federal ban, too. Right. So it's you know, here, here he is pretending that this is all just a, a state's rights thing. Right. But um, do you get the sense that that this issue can be a decisive issue in in November's elections and sort of related to that. Have you had a chance to talk to candidates yet that you're working with about how they're going to talk about this and what impact it may have? And I know it's only been a few hours, so maybe it's premature to ask that question. But do you have any sense of that yet? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. First of all, that's bless his heart. The same man <laughs> that gave us Citizens United. The same man that helped gut the Voting Rights Act is now going to talk about, oh, don't worry, women, you can vote. Yep. <laughs> it's actually women who have more voter suppression to deal with than less because women who get divorced or, or married, therefore changing a name, have a more difficult time going through all those legal documents. I mean, I, you know, I adore my husband, but there's no way I was taking his name. You think <laughs> I was going to go through all that, all that rigmarole, all that process? No way. Right. You know, not legally. I wasn't going to do it. I was. I, I, I think a lot of people are dealing with voter suppression, and a lot of them are women. So no, I don't 
I, I think it is a dare, and I think we should take him up on his dare. But let's yeah. be clear. Remember during the Citizens United when there was the brouhaha back and forth in the decisions before and, they were- And Citizens thing- United, sorry, uh, Christine, Citizens United allowed corporate money, almost unlimited corporate money, or unlimited corporate money to, to flood into politics and eliminated- uh, campaign limits on those corporate donations. Okay, sorry. Right. They said they said it was speech. Uh, they defined uh, corporations as as having members for the purposes of speech, and um, and it allowed you know any LLC could spring up all like a weed and then just suddenly give endless amounts of money more so than an actual individual person. And one of the things that Scalia said when the the progressives on the court were talking about that this would have a chilling effect on debate. He said, well, if you don't like it, you can just change the channel. So I feel like Alito is channeling uh, Scalia in a sense of saying, well, if you don't like it, you can just vote to change the law. Well, we did vote to change the law, right? We voted for a Democratic Senate. We voted for a Democratic president. And, you know, Mitch McConnell didn't give us our uh, vacancy when Scalia passed, right? Um, the, The other thing I would say is yes, it should be a challenge, but it also should say to every senator, confirm everyone you can as quickly as you can right now, right? Because that's also the power of the Senate. We need those judges too. And another thing that I think in terms of us being ready, I was out in the streets for Merrick Garland, but I think that we were out in the dozens. We would have been out in the hundreds of thousands had they nominated um, a Black woman. And none of many of us said that. We had a couple of candidates that we took to the White House, um, and they didn't do that. So I think part of what you're seeing is that the party is learning. There's a difference, God love them both, between Merrick Garland and KBJ, right? Contangia Brown-Jackson is a different kind of candidate. (laughs) Right? Right? But it's also a matter of what you will do for the person. So I would say our candidates, we'd already been talking to them about this issue. In fact, I had tweeted about the issue in the morning, that Washington Post article that had come out that talked about the huge dark money network that was out there that was planning to codify Roe in the House. Normally, people don't see abortion as being an issue in the House. They see it as being an issue in the Senate because... um, That's where the action is on the judges and, of course, the Supreme Court. But the fact of the matter is it's important in both houses. And in this particular instance, I think our candidates are really clear. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of of individual autonomy and power. And it is also a matter of respect for patients, right? If you're for patients' rights, then you should be for abortion rights. If you are for the right to choose, then that means everybody, regardless of class or race or gender identity, right, or marital circumstance. And if you are going to campaign and be part of the Democratic Party, understand you are going there to fight and be part of a pro-choice majority. People may take issue with one you know, aspect or another, but by and large, we need to make sure that our candidates are strong. And I haven't seen I haven't seen much pushback there. I think most of them are very good about it. There's a again, I want to avoid the backsliding of the people, the infamous seven words they used to say I'm personally opposed to abortion, but <laughs> pro choice. Just say you're pro choice. Right. And I also want to avoid some of the shaming that goes on when we start talking about what kinds of abortions should be legal or not. Just codify row. You've got the case law. It's right there in front of you. We've all lived with it for 50 years and for 20 years or so since Casey. So just codify Roe. That's your message. Do you think do you think that that, um, you know, uh, 
these a lot of these Democrats who are in uh, dicey districts, you know, in, in swing districts and suburban districts and whatever. It, it seems to me that this would work to their benefit to be talking about we can codify Roe. We can protect this from the Supreme Court that ju- that's going to strike it down or that just struck it down, depending on when they're campaigning, et cetera. Um, so, do, I mean, is is this do you think that this is a net plus at this point for uh, for Democrats running in in swing districts and particularly these these um, these suburban swing districts? I think this is a horrifying horrifying negative. I think it's really, really bad. I think we're only just, the shock is only just starting to wear off. Um, And I think because it's such a personal, painful decision, we want to be really careful um, about how we go about looking at where it would have electoral advantage or disadvantage. Yes, it's going to piss people off. Yes, it's going to get people um, out and voting. Yes, women know who's on their side. Patients know who's on their side, right? Just like the LGBTQ community knows who's on their side, right? That much will be clear. I also want to just put in a word for those who are coming at this from a place of trauma because what I don't think would be helpful is to add to the unhealed grief and the long COVID and the, you know, the, the trickle down hate, you know, we don't have trickle down Liberty. We don't have trickle down economics, but we sure did get trickle down hate from the last administration. So I would just say, we want to be careful about making sure that it is a net plus that Democrats know that our base is furious they're furious with us, they're furious with themselves, they're furious with this country, and we have to honor that pain. And I'll, and I'll say about this issue the way I said about the, the, you know, the recall of Gavin Newsom a year ago, you have to begin with empathy and then go to the place of, now who's going to take care of your pan, pain? Who has a plan to heal your pain? Who has a plan to solve your problem? Who has a plan to make your life better? I think that's the Democratic Party. But I would just hope that that this is done with a tad of nuance and a lot of care because yes it's a bumper sticker right my body my choice who decides you or them vote pro-choice vote democratic like we get that it's actually easier to campaign on than other issues in that respect but there are a lot of scared people who are going to be in a lot of pain and potentially die between now and november and we should uh never forget that and as with covid I think we want to just make sure that we're always uh, being mindful of the vulnerable patients, the patients with disabilities, the, you know, the patients from communities of color. And uh, so I kind of just slow down in my answer to say, let's just make sure that we're leading with that empathetic heart and with input from the people who are most um, impacted so that what the public sees is that we care about them because we do. Right as opposed to the public seeing us go out there and say, get rid of those terrible anti-choice Republicans. And then they see our own base yelling at us and saying, well, we wouldn't have to if you had done your jobs, right? Well, what, and we get an endless cycle of doom about the filibuster. What, what, I'm, what I'm hearing from you is something that we've been uh, talking a lot about in, the, in recent uh, shows about messaging, which is, which is, you know, you start by stating your values and what you're for, and then you say, and what is the other side 
uh, going to do for us? Because it's going to do for you. What plans do they have to help you? Because at this point, their only plans are the culture wars. So, you know, that's it. There's there's no plans to help uh, with health care. There's no plans to help with reproductive rights. Um, there's no plans to help with inflation. There's no plans to help with with anything. So anyway, we've been we've been talking about that. And I'm hearing I'm here. I'm hearing you tell me, slow your roll and get back to the messaging. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, no, it's I'll take, true I'll because, take it. Yeah. You know, because you know what? I think people are this is a very this is a very painful personal thing. We're talking about personal dignity here. And so I do think it's important. And I mean, I talk faster than you do. I mean, you know, <laughs> my, my poor court reporters, you know, they just hearing me talk a mile a minute and having to record that. But the fact of the matter is, because it's a, it's a very personal thing, because it's a very intimate thing, we want to talk about that. So when we talk, for example, about the kitchen table, yeah, we're talking about hospital bills and we're talking about rent and we're talking about economics, but we're also talking about the things that if you're lucky enough for your kids to still talk to you <clears throat> at the table and not you know just put on their headphones and eat the food and race out. They're also talking about, you know, the trans kid getting bullied or their friends who are immigrants who are worried about, you know, the racism that's still there or somebody, you know, has been absent in school for a while and they're all pretty sure it's COVID, but nobody's saying, right? Or the person that got embarrassed because, you know, they had their period of school and they're dealing with period poverty and the school is just not, you know, equipped to deal with that. So they need some help. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's, I don't want to distinguish too much between the culture and the economics because I think, and the race, because I think they're all linked and I think that when we talk about that kitchen table, we should really remember that we talk about these really deep personal issues just as much, if not more, as we talk about uh, the financial ones. And oftentimes there are links. For example, do I tell my boss I have COVID? Do I tell my boss I have cancer? Do I tell my boss I'm pregnant? At what point do I do that? Will I get fired? Will I get quietly, constructively terminated? Will I even get insurance? Right. These are fights that people have um, in places where they don't have the strong protections that they need. So I think our messaging is really important. We are a pro-choice party. We are a big tent party. We care about um, making people's lives better. And that includes, of course, making sure we have jobs and wages and some relief from all of this burden that people are suffering. But part of that relief is financial and part of that is really emotional. And so I think we have to give I think we have to give this the, the base a chance to be mad at us, right? Give people space to vent and not co-opt that or try to control it, but instead do more of the crowdsourcing. And, uh, you know, I just, I would just say in finalizing the answer, you know, Marcos, you had, you know, <laughs> I told somebody I was going on your podcast and they're like, oh, the American Taliban guy. <laughs> like People are still tripped out that you were so honest and direct about calling it like it is. But now that we're starting to see it in action, like you're le- it, it, it's less of a, um, a radical description than it once was, which is that at, congratulations on your prescience, but also it's, it's <laughs> God, a little depressing. No. <laughs> don't want the congratulations. I wish I had been wrong. Christine, I know we're out, we're out of time, but it, it, just really, really quick. I know you've got your hands in so many different things. Is there one thing you want people to do, uh, you know, something they could actually tangibly do to, to join the fight and, uh, and, you know, try to win yes, in November? Yes, what and you can do this. is support your local, your local grassroots 
organizing. And if you want to be, if you are blessed enough to be in a place where after you organize for yourself, you can organize for others, um, then work on holding the House and holding the Senate and holding some of these seats in these nested communities, right? Going to what we call Red California or Purple California, but also looking at places like Michigan, where they've got a contested governor's race, where they've also got um, a contested um, legislative race, and um, they will, in the general election, have some contested uh, congressional races. Work in Florida, work in Texas, work in places where you have a blend here, but we've got to make sure that we hold this House. And to do that, we have to make sure we're getting out the word that, yes, the House did codify Roe once, they'll do it again, and they'll be able to do it next year too, and, and, and to fund a codified Roe if we have a Democratic majority. So hold the House. Christine Pelosi is a strategist, organizer, and my favorite, she's a trainer of all these great <laughs> candidates trying to save our democracy. Christine, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Keep fighting that good fight. Thanks. Carrie, it's funny how she brings up American Taliban because I almost forget. American Taliban is one of the, it's, it was my second book, I believe, that I, that I wrote where I basically compared the Republican Party to the Taliban. And and this was back in, when was it? It was like 2008 or 2009. And I got so much shit from people, from liberals. <laughs> like the nation really? attacked me and American Prospect attacked me. And all these liberals, they were like, heavens, like this rhetoric. And I, what I literally did is I, I would take a speech by a Republican or a speech by a Taliban leader. Oh. And I would take out sort of the cultural references that would identify it. And I'd be like, okay, which one is it? And you wouldn't be able to tell, right? On gay rights, on abortion, on, on, uh, on contraception, on, and all these sort of issues that we care about, on democracy even. And, and just pointing out these, these, these come from the same place. And it's I'd almost forgotten. It's funny that Christine brought that up and that she remembered the shit I took back then. Because every day, the last... I don't know, decade, right? It, it just, every day seems to confirm the tenets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's prescient. I mean, except that it was happening. So, you know, it's just like, it was, in a way it was, I mean, it was prescient in terms of where they were heading, but it was already happening. And what you were doing was just pointing out, hey, this is already happening. Like, this isn't, you know, I'm not making this up. Like, it's happening if you're willing to just see it for what it is. Gosh, you know, I, I am, uh, it's, it's like, I want to talk about the politics of this, the electoral politics of we this. We can talk about it. We're and not trying to get I votes. So we, we I know, I know, I know. I, and I, I think I think it's fair. I mean, first of all, can I just say, you mentioned at the, at the top or closer to the beginning about McConnell and McConnell, you know, a, a bunch of these Republicans in Congress in particular saying things like, oh, gosh, you know, this is just such an outrage because it was leaked and, you know, all this stuff, right? Well, and, and not touching any of the substance of it. Well, McConnell is the guy who packed this court with conservatives who stole a seat um, yeah. from Democrats. And if if it turns out that he isn't, you know, that he he get he gets that Republicans, particularly in the Senate, in these statewide races, get swamped because they or at least their chances of taking a majority get sacked because that in the suburbs, they have trouble because a bunch of women turn out and, and hopefully some men too, and say, 
uh-uh, there's no way we're going back to, to this. And I mean, there's going to be a lot of, don't let me just, I'm not just saying it's just suburban. I'm just saying that the suburban voters are really the swing voters. If we can get the Democratic base out en masse and get the suburban swing voters at the same time, because they're like, you know, there, there's a lot going on. But one thing I know is that someone's trying to take away my rights. And if he ends up not getting to be majority leader again in his lifetime because of this, that would be some sweet fucking justice is all I have to say. God, that would be, um, that would be amazing. So, you that know, and that, there is that possibility. This guy's old. I mean, I don't know how many, like how many years he's got left in him, but it's possible that this becomes, you know, this becomes a decisive issue, not just for one cycle, but for many cycles. Um, and, you know, especially for women. And I, I will say, as someone who was covering the LGBTQ movement when Proposition 8 passed in California and same-sex marital rights were taken away from Californians here. And at the time, I wasn't living in California. I am now. But there's something about having rights taken away that is that is Viscerally. And viscerally, you know, it's so visceral and and it's not something you don't it's not a one cycle issue. It's not like, oh, well, vote on it this cycle. But next cycle, I don't know. Maybe I don't want the rights next cycle. I mean, you know, it is it is going to be here for a while. And it is. And, you know, hopefully it's going to be as big as I think it's going to be. But like the prospect that that's what you're facing is a place where women don't have the right to make the choice about their own health care issues, regardless of what the circumstance, then, you know, there's a, I, I don't want to live in that. I don't want to live in that place. Now I live in California and there's, you know, abortion rights are going to be strong here, but, but is this, you know, I don't want to live in that country. I don't want my daughter to live in that country. I don't want any, I don't want people to have to live in that country. And I think there's, I could be under, I could be overestimating, but I think there's a lot of women who don't want to live in that country. I mean, there's so many facets to it. I'm, uh, Texas, you know, has a fast growing tech community. Do, are they going to be able to attract uh, creative class people? to move to Texas to a state that is so regressive on women's rights. So there, there are some places where, where the, the, the politics of it are going to get complicated, but that's not going to happen in Mississippi and Alabama. Nobody's moving down there. And there's huge classes of people there that, that just won't have access to reproductive services because of laws like this. And it, it's clear that I always, I keep coming back to it because I'm just absolutely gobsmacked is how Republicans like Mitch McConnell don't want to talk about that. They really are afraid to talk about the substance of the decision. They're not celebrating. The ones that are celebrating, you're like, okay, that guy's a true believer and good. He should celebrate. They won. They got what they wanted. But the ones who aren't, the Republicans who claim they were for this, why are they not celebrating? I mean, it would be like the Supreme Court leaks a decision that says that, okay, you know what? We're going to make Washington, D.C. a state. Would we sit here on this show and complain that it was leaked? Yeah. <laughs> no. no. Oh, my and, God. Well, yes. And, and to your point, the Republicans in these red states like Governor Kay Ivey in uh, in Alabama. Right. I mean, they're, they're they are they're already they are celebrating. So like it's the Republicans in the red states. They're out there celebrating. They're saying we're going to take away, you know, permanently take away abortion rights. 
if they haven't passed a bill already, and most of them have, they're going to ha- pass that bill. The, the, the politicians, the Republican politicians in these red states are all over it. But, but McConnell knows that his Senate majority doesn't run through the red states necessarily. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North states. Carolina, Florida. There's one more in right. there. I mean, New Hampshire, Nevada. It's all the swing states. It's all the swing states, right? He knows that. So, he, you know, I, I think about, you know, I think about the, the Georgia, G- Georgia becoming a swing state in this past election, Georgia, which you've been Arizona. talking about for, right, for, for years in Arizona too. And I think about a place like Atlanta and the Atlanta suburbs and how decisive they can be in an election. And, you know, you've got there's a lot of things at play uh, in Georgia, too many to mention in one. But like I just think about the the Democratic base voters who will turn out because they're going to have Senator Raphael Warnock, who's the first, um, you know, black American to represent that that state, Georgia, in the U.S. Senate. And they're going to have Stacey Abrams as a Democratic governor. And then you're going to have the suburban swing districts. Right. That 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 said no, no to Trump. No to Trump. Some of them went there and voted for their down ballot uh, Republicans, but said no to Trump at the top of the ticket. Some of them actually split their ticket. That those are the those are the people who I think. I mean, that's a state where I'm like, there's there's the voter suppression bills, but there is going to be a great great effort to overcome them. And they shouldn't have to. It's immoral that they that the that the voters there would have to overcome it. But there's going to be a lot of motivation for both the base and the swing voters to say no to where the Republican majorities and and in that state. But also, I mean, I say I shouldn't say the Republican majority. It's run by Republicans. The state is. But to where the Republicans nationwide are trying to lead this country. You know, that's a, that, and, 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 and that's their biggest that's in, in the Senate. That's their biggest pickup opportunity is in Georgia. Gary, that's that's all the time we have today in our show. Uh, I'm fired up. I thought I was I thought I was motivated, but I just kicked into this new gear. And I suspect when the when the official decision comes out, I'll I'll kick into that even next year. And I think Republicans are pissed because this has given Democrats an extra month of organizing and fundraising. And Christine Pelosi, thanks so much to her for joining us. She's absolutely right. This is a time to join your local grassroots organization if you're within driving distance of a swing state or swing district it's a good time so for example you're in chicago not a lot of swing stuff happening there's a lot of swing stuff happening in wisconsin so there's almost all of us are within driving distance and definitely phone call distance or writing letters distance there's so many ways we can be engaged and usually we start talking about how to get engaged closer to the election but we, we can't wait. There is so much at stake. The election is, what, uh, six months out, five months out? Yeah. That's going to go like that. And, of course, you know, summer's in the middle. So we have to be active. And this is your opportunity. I'm, if you're watching the show, if you're listening to this podcast, you are already presumably incredibly active activist type. So this is time to let sure, make sure that your family knows what's happening, that your friends know what's happening, your, your coworkers, your social circle know, let them know what's at stake and that this is not an exaggeration. There's no hyperbole. Um, Alito made it very clear that he only believes in historical rights and that does not include anything that does not, that isn't a 
white male landowner. That's that's his definition, essentially. And all of that is at stake, including specifically right now a woman's right to choose and a family's right to plan their family. That's everybody, not just women. A family's right to plan their family. So thank you, Carrie. Again, thanks to Christine Pelosi for joining us. Thanks to the whole brief team. That's Walter and Kara and Dorothy and Carolyn and Paul. And thank you, our fellow traveler, fighting this fight for our democracy and for our freedom. We need you to give it it all. We can't leave anything on the road. And I know it's early, (laughs) but the time can't wait anymore. Everything's at stake. So thank you for joining us. See you guys next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.